So now we enter into the story as children. And I'm hoping that you figured out where you wanted to stand in that story, where you, or who you were in the story. I forgot one thing that I had to tell you is that we don't ever become Jesus in the story, okay? <laughs> we let Jesus be Jesus, but you are welcome to be anybody else in that story as, as you're listening. And so maybe you uh, were one of the disciples who was arguing. Maybe you were uh, the families um, that, were, that were pushing in. Um, maybe you were uh, the, the large crowd that was around. Or maybe you were that child that got chosen by Jesus. Did anybody choose that person? That Jesus actually picked up and held? Um, you're in the story too, and the story is for you. And the children understand that. So as we enter into this story, there's just been a big argument, as, as you heard uh, Michael talk about. You know, they have just uh, recently, the favorite three and Jesus went to the, uh, to the Mount of Transfiguration and they got to experience this amazing thing, but only three of them did. And then Jesus said, now don't tell anybody about that. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, they just got to experience the most amazing thing that they've ever seen in their life up until the resurrection, and they're not going to tell the other nine. They're, you know, like, oh, we would love to tell you what happened, but mm -mm, no way, we're not. <laughs> While that's going on, the, uh, what I like to call the non-favorite nine were, I'm a second child. Anybody else? I'm the middle. I'm the middle. Like, you're always worried about who's the favorite. So the non-favorite nine are down working hard, while the other ones are up there enjoying Jesus' transfiguration. They're trying to cast out an evil spirit, and they can't do it. And so there's people arguing. Jesus comes down from the mountaintop and is asking, what is going on? There's this big argument over how they're not able to cast this evil spirit out. Jesus has to take over, does what is necessary, and then, after that, he starts doing this death talk thing that nobody wants to hear about. He starts talking about it, you know, I, will, I need to die, and I'll be there three days, and he does the whole story, and the disciples are like, we don't want to talk about this. This isn't really happening. And at that point, though, they begin to argue about who's the greatest, or after all of those things that happen. And I try to imagine, I try to wonder what that conversation was like. I think somebody catches on that he says he's going to be gone for three days, whether they realize what that means or not. And they're saying, we need a plan. We need a plan. If he's going down for three days, somebody's going to be in charge, right? There's got to be a succession here. So we need a plan. Who's the greatest? Who's going to take over while he's away? And... And they're saying, yeah, I mean, this, this is how it has to happen. I think I should do it. And they start giving all the reasons why they should be the ones in charge. And there's an argument that takes place. And Jesus comes up on it and then asks the question, sort of like a parent would say, uh, so what's been going on here? What were you arguing about? And they get the, you know, the stone-faced look of, we don't know what you're talking about. And so, so Jesus, this is Parenting 101. They've acted out, but there's a lot of people around. There's a large crowd around, and so Jesus takes the 12 by themselves and sits down 
I think probably calmly at this point. He's trying to teach them something. And so he says to them, you know, you're asking who's going to be first. And so I'm going to give you the answer. It's the one that's willing to be last. You want to know who's going to be the most honored? I'm going to give you the answer. It's the one who's willing to be a servant. Now, nowadays, if all of the kids wanted to be the leader, we would have a special line leader day, wouldn't we? And we would put a little sign around them and we'd say, you're the line leader today. And, uh, but Jesus is a man of extremes. He doesn't give them that option that they can share leadership or they can share being the greatest of all. He says, no, you want to be the greatest? I'm telling you to be the least of all, to be the last. You know, Jesus could have given them a break there. I mean, he could have said, I'm telling you to just think midway. Just think halfway there. You don't have to be a top-rung leader. You could be midway. But he says, no, I'm telling you to be the last. He does the very same thing very soon in Mark with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who's done everything right, except that he really loves his wealth, apparently. And Jesus says, well, then the only way you can be a part of the kingdom of God is if you get rid of everything. The first has to be last. The rich has to be poor. It's like Jesus knows how to zero in on the very thing in our life that keeps us from grasping the kingdom of God wholeheartedly. And now, kids, I'm going to give you a chance to just kind of search. What is my one thing? What is that one thing that's keeping me from wholeheartedly grasping and reaching out for the kingdom of God? Christ's rule and reign in my life. And I'm not going to give you much time with that, so you could write that down and work through that later. Back to the discussion. Jesus ends this conversation about the first has to be last. And he picks up this child that's somewhere in the midst. Apparently, there were people still standing close by because he, he grabs a child and holds this child in his arms. And then he adds this, whoever welcomes them welcomes me. And not me, but he who sent me. And the disciples are thinking, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> what does this child have to do with me being wanting to be first, but Jesus actually asking me to be last? Well, the word welcome is, oh man, I want to say this right, dekomai. And it means welcome, receive, and accept. Jesus says you need to welcome this child. And whoever does, you're welcoming me. You're receiving me when you receive this small child. You're accepting me. You know, kings couldn't be everywhere at once, and so they would send a messenger to represent them, or even government leaders would send a messenger, and they would be a person of high honor too, but they would represent that king. What? Not Jesus, not God. Jesus is saying, this child, they're my representative, and if you will welcome them, you're actually welcoming me and my father. It's, 
Kind of an upside down kingdom, isn't it? Where we choose the most vulnerable to represent God himself in a scenario. Now, I want to stop there because all of us who have preached love to use our family and our own situations in our, in our stories. And you know, if Jesus just wanted to do a sermon selfie, he could have pointed at the child, you know, and just said, see that kid over there? If you'll welcome that small child, but he doesn't. I mean, he uses every opportunity to love on the least of these, to love on those that need loving. And so he grabs this child and holds him in his arms and loves on him, not just to make a point, because Jesus was always ready to minister to the least of these, to those that needed it. And, and I think about that child. Okay, so I admit, I picked being the little child that got picked up. Middle child is always looking for that opportunity. How did that child's life change? I wonder if he left that space saying, he picked me. He picked me for this story. I got to be held by Jesus, and he picked me. I wonder if he's one of the evangelists that traveled around the world to share about Jesus after his death and resurrection. Well, we leave that scene, and they're leaving Capernaum. They're way up here at the top of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to travel. I'll do it so you can see. They're going to travel down the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to, to stay over on this side of the Jordan. And Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. Now, life's getting serious here for all of these people, and they all know it, or at least the disciples think they know what's going to happen. But I believe they do see something different in Jesus. I think, I think they see his demeanor possibly becoming more serious. I think they know, no matter what they know, they know when they get to Jerusalem that a lot of people don't like Jesus there. In fact, they hate him. And so they're becoming hypervigilant, I believe. I think they're, they're wanting to protect Jesus. They want to protect Jesus from the crowds. They, they want to protect Jesus from from things that aren't important, because he's on a mission. Jesus is on a mission. This isn't just a typical Passover pilgrimage. This is something different this time. But they're in this area waiting to move over across the Jordan and into Jericho that, that Matthew says there were a large crowds that followed Jesus in that area. So there's people pushing in on Jesus. They're acting sort of like security guards, and um, people start, well, I guess if I were going to do a soundtrack for this, you know, I would have maybe violins going, because it's so poignant now. Everyone knows that they're moving towards something. I'd have Danny do this for me. And, and, and then I think I might have a distant drum beat that's, that's far away that they're marching towards, because we know that we're moving towards the most important act in Christ's life, but uh, that's not what happened. They're, they're moving, there's no beautiful soundtrack, there's kids screaming. <laughs> it, it would sound like the playground in Callis Village, that's what it must have sounded like. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, mm, we got important things to do, we don't have time for kids. Parents, gather your kids. You know, they're, they're, they're uh, listening in their, in their earphones and saying, you know, kid alert, kid alert. It's on your three o'clock, everybody look, everybody move. You know, and, 
And they're trying to rebuke these parents. They're saying, get your kids under control. I have to admit, I have thought that sometimes too. Get your kids under control. We don't have time for this. We've got important stuff to do. And so they rebuke the parents who are bringing the children. Now, personally, I want to give them a break. They're under stress. They are, they're frightened. They're worried about Jesus. They, you know, like, rebuke. What kind of word is that? I mean, you know, this little scolding here and there. There's nothing wrong with that. And also, I, I, I was an administrative assistant for 14 years. Let me, let me tell you about that real quickly. Our job as an administrative assistant, I worked for two deans and multiple professors, is to rebuke people, is to keep them away from the guys and the gals that are doing the hard stuff, right? They're not necessarily going to Jerusalem, but it probably feels that way. <laughs> they do have committee meetings. They have, you know, they have things they're supposed to do. They are working on syllabi. They're teaching classes. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And so the admin assistant, our job, you may not know this. I've just told you a secret, is to keep you away from them if you're a student. <laughs> okay? That's the truth. I did it nicely. I used the distract method. I tried to answer as many questions as I could. But they have things to do. And if you wanted to be blessed by your professor or your dean, it was my job to say, I'm sorry, they're busy. They real, they're, they're, they're big here. You know, they're big people here. They got stuff to do. So I tend to want to give the disciples a break. Not so Jesus. Jesus, it says, the scripture says, was indignant. Indignant. Okay, look that one up. To feel, this is the Greek word, to feel a violent irritation physically. Picture that. Physically, Jesus was feeling how angry he was at what they were doing. He was grieved that they wouldn't let the children come to him. He says to them, indignant. Another parental lesson. Sometimes you don't have time to go to another place and sit down and talk nice. <laughs> you speak your mind and you, you um, correct the bad behavior. And so Jesus says, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. That sounds a little bit like what he said about a week ago to them, doesn't it? And they've already forgotten so he decides to go a little bit deeper, and, and he reminds them maybe about how these children remember they're representatives of God himself, of me. Please welcome them. Welcome them. And then he says to them, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, wait a minute, we've just changed subjects. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That word receive, same word, same Greek word. When he says welcome the children, he's also saying welcome the kingdom of God. And the only way to do that is to welcome those who are small, who are powerless, who are vulnerable. Receive them. Same word. So how do we become like a child? How, how do we receive the kingdom of God like a child would. Well, you know, I have heard so many sermons on this, and you probably have, and, 
And we always list these beautiful qualities of children. You know, they're loving, they're forgiving, they have a purity of heart. And I want to say to that preacher, have you never raised a child? <laughs> have you never met a child? Have you never walked past a child on the street? <laughs> Obviously, it's not their godlike qualities. No child, including these beautiful children here and my grandchildren, are perfect enough to enter the kingdom of God because of their godlike qualities. So what is it? Well, I found the answer. And I like to think I could have come up with this on my own, but I looked at Craig Keener's commentary. <laughs> surprise, surprise, he and I think alike. Amazing. Craig says, and I agree, that children are dependent and powerless. And that's how they come to the kingdom of God, dependent and powerless. Not our great qualities, not all of those wonderful characteristics. So how do we do that? I think children realize the gift that the kingdom of God and the relationship with Jesus is. If you've ever heard them pray, come on a Wednesday, if you've ever heard them pray, they know to whom they are speaking and they know they belong to him. There's never a doubt there. There's never a question about what do I have to do to get it right now. As they age, most likely they'll fall into that. Who is the child in your life, the vulnerable person, the powerless one that Jesus is asking you to welcome. Because it sounds like we don't get into the kingdom of God unless we are willing to welcome, to receive, to accept those who have no power. Who is that person in your life? Who are those people in your life? And I don't think I'm off, because in Matthew 25, Jesus pretty much says that with the story of the sheep and the goats. We're to welcome, we're to accept, we're to receive the least of these. And that may be a child, that may be, that may be someone else. So I'm asking you as you leave today, who is that person or who are those people that he's asking you to respond to and welcome? Now, when the children hear a Bible story, even starting from the youngest age, we give them an opportunity to respond. They'll create something beautiful. Or Valerie and I have so many funny stories of what they'll create. They'll create a taco, and that will be what they heard God say. But it's somewhere, it's somewhere. God has spoken to them. Or the older children, they have a journal that they write in as God's speaking to them, and they keep that for, for an entire year. So I'm asking you, how will you respond to the story that Jesus told today? What will you take with you when you leave? Because if not, why are we here? Why are, we, why are you listening to me? <laughs> Unless God wants you to take something from this time. So I have some good news for you, friends. Because we tend to think power as adults, we tend to think who's on top and and who will be in control. Here's some good news. Jesus has not left the throne. Jesus, who is the greatest of all, 
because he is the servant of all. There's no need for us to figure out a succession plan. He doesn't need our power strategies. He doesn't need an org chart to figure out where to put us in, where we'll use our gifts the best. We're not going to take the kingdom by force. We're not going to rise to the top of the kingdom by our godlike qualities. It's, it's an upside-down kingdom, this kingdom of God that he's given us. It is in our CV, it is in our resume, it is in our standing, it is in our accomplishments. It's not whether we're successful in ministry or not so successful. None of that matters because none of that will get you into the kingdom or move you closer to the throne. We can only receive God's kingdom with complete powerlessness, complete dependency, and that dependency is in the grace and mercy and sacrifice of Jesus, not in anything we've done. How many of you have at some point in your seminary career or in your position at the seminary felt like absolutely the least of these? I am, I am the least of these. I'm the dumbest in my class. I am the worst at my job. Good news. For the least of these are loved by Jesus, accepted by Jesus, brought into the kingdom from Jesus and sent out as his representative. So in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist. And I would love for you to come and celebrate the Eucharist as a child. You know that, that giddy, if you were a church kid, the giddiness that wells up in you when it's going to be time to take the juice and the bread. We get to do this. I don't understand anything about it, but I know it's really a wonderful experience. Come as a child. The same way you would welcome a child, the same way as you'll enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving children. Thank you for Jesus showing us how to love children and welcome them and bless them. Lord, we ask you to do a work in our hearts today, to find those areas of our life that we're not welcoming, that we don't receive, that we don't love people. And Lord, for those of us who are struggling with our place, Lord, pick us up. Hold us in your arms, Lord. For we desire most of all, the greatest thing we desire is to be a part of your kingdom and in relationship with you. I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.